They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Welcome to the Milestone Episode 10 of the Face Off Podcast. Julian McKenzie, Jake Lapin here with you. We made it to 10 episodes. We should have a party. Let's have a party in studio right now. I don't. I Every didn't bring balloons. Every episode of the Face Off is a party. It is a party. I, I just didn't bring balloons or party favors. Uh, but we did bring uh, Mike Drew. Mike Drew was on Episode 2 of the Face Off Podcast, and... He has returned. You're one of the few people who can say they are a return guest and friend of the Face Off Podcast. Welcome back to the show. You know, somehow I found it in my heart to come down here and and talk about whatever we're going to talk about with you two knuckleheads again. So uh, here I am. Who's the bigger knucklehead between myself and Jake? How long do you have? (laughs) I don't think I think that's another show, Julian. Let's be honest here. (laughs) Episode 11, maybe. Yeah. Episode 11, perhaps. <laughs> uh, we'd like to thank everyone who is watching on the following platforms. Watching and listening, actually. Facebook Live, YouTube, uh, iTunes, and Mixcloud. I believe we're on those four. Wow. We, we've, we've gone from just chilling in a studio and just putting stuff out on Mixcloud to being almost everywhere. So there's literally no excuse, no excuse to say you don't listen or watch the Face Off podcast. Absolutely none. I don't want to hear any excuses from BDJers or or anyone else here at Newhouse. Uh, and also, shout out very quickly to Jeremy Joshua back in the producer chair. Uh, we missed you, buddy. And it's so great for you to be back here with us. Let's not waste any more time. Let's talk about some topics at hand. Who caught any of the March Madness over the weekend, guys? The women's and the men. Madness from both ends. Absolutely. 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 The men's game happened last night. UNC avenging their loss from last year, getting the job done over Gonzaga. The game itself was kind of rough. A lot of refereeing lot of uh, playing into A lot of fouls lot being of fouls. called. The game did end up being kind of close near the end, but I've seen better championship games. Well, a lot of people are angry at the officials for calling all those fouls. But the players also just didn't adjust to the game that was being called tightly. I mean, I, I think they're like just as... They're equally to blame for the not aesthetically pleasing game. And it, let's, I mean, people say it was such a bad game. Like, do you guys remember Butler and UConn not too long ago? <laughs> like 2011. I mean, Butler made three two pointers the entire game, scored yeah. 41 points. So this wasn't that bad. And it, it was close, too. Yeah, at least it was close. Uh, Mike, what did you think of that game? Yeah, I mean, the the Butler-UConn game is a good one to bring up because that was definitely worse uh, on a lot of levels. Uh, but, yeah, this game was uh, it was dominated, unfortunately, by the officiating. The, the second half, in particular, was just such a foul fest. It, it was unwatchable at a certain point. And, uh, I mean, having said all that, it's a game that Gonzaga should be the national champion. Gonzaga should have won last night. 
uh, because for all the fouls, I think the worst officiating moment was actually when uh, Kennedy Meeks's hand mm-hmm. was touching the out of bounds yes. line, and the offic- and the, the replays clearly catch that the CBS replays, and th- they reviewed everything else in that game, and they don't review yeah. that um, because if that call is made properly, Gonzaga has the ball down one with forty seconds left. Okay, so uh, and and I understand, you know, who knows whether or not Gonzaga would have converted there because the big man Karnowski was a no-show last night. Uh, But, you know, Gonzaga should have won that game, and that, I thought, was the worst moment of all for the officials. Even going off uh, that particular egregious non-call, that first half for for UNC, even though it ended up being a close encounter for for the opening minutes, Gonzaga was the better team in that first half, and they should have had that killer instinct to try to put that team away, I thought. So to allow UNC, I mean UNC, obviously they're well coached. Uh, they've been one of the better teams all year. But when you're when you're a team like Gonzaga, you're in your first national championship ever, and you have a team like UNC behind, you have to find a way to put them away. Well, everybody wanted to talk about all the Carolina big guys, and you're right. In the first half, Gonzaga was cleaning them out on the glass. wasn't even close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was the first game all year that North Carolina won when they lost the rebound battle. Um, they lost by – they ended up losing the battle by three. But at one point in the first half, Gonzaga had something like ten more rebounds than UNC did. Uh, so it was a combination of Gonzaga not being able to follow through on that in the second half and tons of missed free throws. I mean, tons of them. I forget what the what the exact uh, statistic was at the end of the game for Gonzaga. But uh, Williams-Goss, Nigel Williams-Goss, I know he had the uh, the quarter – the floor burn on his hand. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty disgusting to look at. But uh, he, he at one point, I think, missed three or four free throws in a row. I mean, you can't do it. You can't do it. So those two things also contributed to this. Well, he turned his ankle in the final minute there. And that too. And then they still went to him and had him isolate in that last possession yeah, down that, three. Yeah. That turnaround on Meeks that got blocked before it even, he even got it over his head. Didn't I, have a chance. You can't depend on a guy who just turned his ankle who could barely walk a second ago to just make something happen. I, I thought that was poorly executed by uh, Mark Few. Did you guys have more fun watching that game, the final of the women's championship, or UConn losing to Mississippi State in the game previous to the uh, the final? Of those three games. Well, seeing UConn lose was an historical moment. I don't think people realize like how crazy that was that was the second longest streak in collegiate sports ever and it went down and i saw some guy i saw this on twitter some guy bet seven thousand dollars to win 100 so he had 70 to 1 odds on uconn and he lost seven thousand (laughs) dollars that's i mean that's how sure vegas was that uconn was going to win this game like they had won the last 111 times hadn't lost since what was it, 2013? I mean, what were you doing in 2013, freshman in college? Yeah, just trying to do my thing at Concordia back home in Montreal. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's a long time. A so long time. that was – and to do it on a buzzer beater is even more spectacular. I don't know. Did you guys see the video of Dave O'Brien, uh, Carol Lawson, yeah. and Doris Burke? I mean, that was awesome. It's shout someone, out Doris Burke. Yeah, definitely shout out Doris Burke. But just people who are aspiring broadcasters, to see that picture was – phenomenal the whole thing was spectacular and it's just it's so unfair 
that Mississippi State had to beat UConn and were not given the trophy right then and there. <laughs> like, if someone was winning the championship this year, it should have either been UConn or someone who beat UConn. I mean, that that's just, like, that asterisk will be there for me on South Carolina forever. Not that I'm going to look back on past NCAA Women's Championships and get mad about them, but if I were ever to, it would be that one. Well, exactly, because it was Lake Placid in 1980, but in reverse. Because the U.S., they beat the Soviets, but the thing everybody forgets is two days later, they had to come back and win the gold. Okay, and right. so so essentially that's uh, that's what Mississippi State was facing, and they didn't get it done. That's the, they lost. They were zero three to South Carolina this year. Lost all three times. That that's hard to do. South Carolina in their last game against UConn lost by sixty points. Yeah, sorry, Mississippi, Mississippi State. State. Mississippi State. Yeah. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah, sixty points, and then throughout the year, uh, I think in one of their training rooms they wrote the number sixty, and they had that as a motivator going into that game against UConn, and. I have my gripes about UConn's last possession, uh, taking a shot with so much time left on the clock, and they end up turning the ball over. And uh, it's funny is that a lot of people after that incident were saying that UConn hasn't been in a situation where they've had to hit a clutch shot at that point. But come on, that's that's basic coaching. You realize there's you have no shot clock on. Just hold the ball. Yes. Yeah, hold the ball. People aren't talking about that enough. No one's talking about that enough. Hold the ball. I don't know if Geno specifically addressed that or not, and they just went against him. But after the game, he was saying how his team just wasn't ready, he guesses. And, like, part of you, like, like, did you not tell them that you have the last shot? Because you can't just be blaming them saying they're not ready because that's a monumental mistake. It's one thing. That cost them the game. It's one thing if, I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't. Get, it's one thing if you you hold the shot, you miss it, you go to overtime. That's fine. That's what you're supposed to do in that possession. I still can't believe that happened. Is that mistake on the player? Or is that on coaching? Well, I wasn't in the huddle. I mean, fine. We I knew think, nobody here was. I mean, even if he, unless they specifically went against what he said, that's hundred percent on Gino. I don't believe. I can't believe that for a second that players would ever want to go against. A guy that's gotten you 111 straight victories. That's what I was in saying I, I think, for the audience to interpret. I, I think that's just a mental mistake on that player. That is, I mean, I know if that was me in that moment, I can't live that down the rest of my life. I know I have the, the championships and, and, and that winning streak, but it's something like that. One last thing I want to ask. Uh, are we going to remember more that South Carolina won that tournament or that Mississippi State ended that streak? Mississippi State, not even close. Just like Josh Hamilton in the Home Run Derby in Yankee Stadium. When everyone was chanting his name, he hit 28 homers in one round. You know who won that tournament? Not Josh Hamilton. I, 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 I do, but yeah. <laughs> Justin Morneau. Yeah. I didn't even remember that. Wow, Justin Morneau won a Home Run Derby? He did. What? I don't even know where he's at now. Where's just, he, he did play in the World Baseball Classic, I he believe. Did, yeah, and Canada crapped the bed on themselves. But that's – that. I mean, come on. I didn't expect them to do much. They had to rely on Eric Gagne and Ryan Dempster. Yeah, I was going to say, Ryan Dempster was in there for, for Canada too. Team like, Israel had a, a solid showing. Yeah, they did Shout way out. better than Canada did. Shout out Team Israel. Shout out to them. Uh, No, but to – shout out to South Carolina for getting the job done in the women's tournament. Uh, North Carolina – Obviously, getting the win over Gonzaga. 
And then you look at a, you know the ACC for, for football, Clemson, that's in South Carolina. It's a good day to be from a school from Carolina, except Duke, because forget them. Yeah, uh, it was a pretty bad day for Duke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, don't, we don't need to sympathize that much about them. Uh, some other news was rolling around uh, this morning. Uh, Tony Romo, who we all, who I at least thought was going to be uh, sought after on this free agent market or trade market, retiring. So that's one thing. And then you have well, not retiring. He has a job. Well, I'm I was getting to that. Okay. I was building it. I, I was building it. So he retires and he gets himself a broadcasting job. And now for fall broadcasts of CBS football. We're going to expect to hear Jim Nance and Tony Romo together? Phil Simms is gone? Ding dong, Phil Simms is gone? Just like that? For Tony Romo? So CBS hasn't officially announced anything, so I'm very curious to see how they they will... No, what I'm saying is I'm curious to see how they'll spin it. Are they going to flat out say, yeah, Phil's terrible? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Look, I'm a a Texans fan, and I, I wanted Romo to come. At obviously at the right price. Yes. Who set the bar lower for Romo in terms of filling shoes? Because as bad as Brock Osweiler was, Phil Simms needed to go. Yes. And I know Mike Drew's going to back me up on this. Phil Simms used to be a lot better than what he turned into. Um, but, Everyone uh, has that. But, well, yeah. But the last couple years especially, um, it, it was a real downward tumble. Um, and, uh, you know, if nothing else, this will be the end of Gadim after every tackle. So, um, you know, in that sense, I guess CBS is improving their vocabulary. I don't know. I don't know what Tony's <laughs> going to say. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this is – I, I want to know – well, obviously, Nance is a pretty busy guy right now. So, th- th- this is an interesting time to drop this on him, too. Yeah. Um, so, th- yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how this all works out. There's also some rumblings going around that uh, I don't know if this is legit or not, but we they, CBS might try to find a way to sneak Romo onto their Masters broadcasts. You know, the Masters. Oh. <laughs> okay. I mean, oh, that's overkill. Here's three guys in a play-by-play class together. I mean, all we have to do is throw a bunch of interceptions in December, and then we can get yeah. be on the Masters, and then the NFL with Jim Nance. Let's yep. do it. Yeah. You, you know who has the. Uh, the Cowboys Thanksgiving game this year. Oh, see. Yep. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Oh, yeah. Get ready for it. All the uh, all the love stories, man, they're coming out. Tony Romo, man. Yep. Uh, he was a fun quarterback to, to watch at his best and certainly at his worst. So, uh, you know, maybe it'll work out for him. Maybe Tony Romo will end up being the new whipping boy. Do you think he'll never take another snap in his lifetime? I'm not so sure about it. I mean, this is a pretty sweet gig. It is. Yeah. yeah. No, it is. I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm very interested in exactly what the process was that CBS went through with him. Did they audition him at all? Right. I mean, is this a thing that can happen overnight? Right. I doubt it. They've or, had to be, he has had to have been on their radar for a long time. Yeah, or did they say, okay, or have they been in the loop for a little while on this, that whenever Romo did decide to step aside from playing, this is what he was going to do? I don't know, because the way, the way the news has come out, it kind of gives the appearance that this was a, 
Oh, crap. Tony Romo's available. Uh, yeah, okay. We'll take yeah, him. Yeah, just take him. Um, but, you know, we don't know what happened behind the scenes, obviously. Yeah, I'm sure in the next few days someone will find a way to bring all of that out. But the timing of it does seem a bit peculiar. Uh, you play for Houston Texans or be in a broadcast booth? Well, because of how high profile the gig is. It's a pretty sweet gig. He's going to – there's no way he's going to play – next year even if he wanted to mid-season because you can't cbs wouldn't let him right you can't dump there's got to be some sort of provision in the deal that he's got exactly that he can't leave for a certain period of time so you're talking about at least a year probably two and then by that point you're getting close tony romo's 37 yeah who's gonna want to take a chance so by that point you're 39 yeah no i think i think i think he's done probably now that i think of it i mean We've seen it time and again, mostly with coaches, but yeah, people take a job like that at ESPN, like Jeff Van Gundy or a, a John Gruden, yeah. and they fall in love. And yeah. why go back where there's immense pressure and always someone going after your job yeah. when you have a comfy seat? Especially for a guy like Tony Romo who's been has been able to play a full season in yeah. quite no, some time. No more surgeries, no more accusations of choking in the playoffs. I guess he'll never be able to get that monkey off his back now. Yeah. But. He's in line to do uh, Super Bowl 53 right now in the new stadium in Atlanta in a couple of years. Wow. Yep, just like that. Tony Romo. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's, that's, that's exactly it. Tony Romo realized he couldn't get to the Super Bowl as a player, so he thought, okay, if I get into the rotation, <laughs> I could get to the Super Bowl as a broadcaster. That's how Tony Romo will get That or he just really wants to be called one of Jim Nance's, Jim Nance's friends at the beginning of every game. It's a cool circle to be in, I assume. Yeah. When we have more time on another episode, we should go through and look back on Phil Simms' greatest moments. <laughs> oh, I, Jake knows. I got a couple of them. Yeah. I can cue them up. Yeah, cue, cue, cue up a little, a little teaser. Right now? Yeah, give them like, <laughs> one. Oh. Give the people what they want. Mike Drew. Uh, well, I put it this way. I can, I, can tell you, I can show you the exact moment where Phil Simms went downhill. I can show you the exact one from uh, the wildcard playoffs in 2011. That does not look forward at all. Remember, for it to be a forward pass, it's got to go forward. When it was uh, the, the Tebow game, as it's referred to. <laughs> Uh, Pittsburgh and Denver. Yes. So there, there's your little. That, that, that's where that's where it comes from. Dang. Is that the uh, forward pass thing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's. I, I remember hearing it at the time, and I said, "Okay, here we go." And uh, sure enough, that was the, the the downward, the downward spiral for uh, for Phil started there. This sounds like something we'll have to add in post. I think it is. Can be done. This did can definitely be done. Uh, so we have that going for us, and then uh, we have to shout out uh, the recent uh, Basketball Hall of Fame class. Shout out to uh, Tracy McGrady. Yes. The other day we were reminiscing about uh, his 13 points in 35 seconds. What was it, like 13 years ago to the day, I believe, Monday? Wow, has it been that long? I mean, that's probably about as great of a memory of a regular season game you can have. I mean, that was that was truly spectacular. I'll, I'll remember that for the rest of my life, I think. The shots he was able to get off in that sequence, all I think all of them were just like 
Why is, for a minute, you see him pull up, you're like, why is Tracy McGrady taking that shot? Oh, my God, he made it. Including, like, the four-point play one. Yeah. Like. Nothing but net, Nothing but net. All off balance. All, at least one guy, if not two on him. And the crazy part about that game was the Rockets were down eight when it started, and San Antonio didn't miss a single free throw. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was still able to do it because threes are more than twos. And I guess fours are also more than twos. <laughs> Wait until the NBA introduces a four-point line. Yeah. Tracy McGrady was, is one of my childhood heroes. Excuse me. Childhood heroes. Almost said Cheerios. Yeah. Um, and, look, he didn't actually win a playoff series in his prime. He won one riding the pine with San Antonio, mm-hmm. got to the finals, but – Back-to-back scoring champion, just an electrifying athlete, seven-time All-Star, played for the U.S. national team. He, look, the Basketball Hall of Fame is just not nearly as stringent as, say, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. So I rarely take issue with some guy getting it, and I'm happy happy for McGrady. He was... Like, when I was getting into basketball growing up in Houston, it was it was Tracy McGrady. I would play NBA Live 07. He's on the cover. I mean, he was my favorite player of all time. And I think were he would he have a similar career in the MLB, I don't think he would be even close to Hall of Famer. <laughs> but since it's a basketball Hall of Fame, I'll say well-deserved and congratulations. It's just, remember, it's funny you mentioned uh, MLB career. Remember when Tracy McGrady tried his hand at playing baseball? Uh, he did. He pitched... One game for the Sugarland Skeeters in the Independent League, uh, and he made the All Star team that year. <laughs> so, oh man, he recorded his first strikeout in that game, and then after that, he said, "You know what? I'm done." Yeah. To, adding to your point about, uh, you know, obviously doing the great things he did for for Houston. Also, he spent his uh, his time in Orlando. He spent the beginning of his career in Toronto, and while it was very brief. I believe there are a subsection of Toronto fans who appreciate Tracy McGrady, and and Tracy McGrady has love for the city of Toronto as well. So you're not going to hear any sour grapes from any Toronto fans who still hold Tracy McGrady in high regard. Obviously, his best years were elsewhere, but Tracy McGrady also has love from north of the border. Stick Mike, do you have any thoughts on the man known as T-Mac? Uh, yeah, I don't have a problem with this. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who were against uh, McGrady going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I think Jake uh, outlined it well there. The uh, the standards, the standard of proof, shall I say, in the uh, to get into the Basketball Hall of Fame is is significantly less. And uh, I thought that he met that standard consistently. And uh, the the one line I'll use to uh, to sum up McGrady is when he was on a roll, he had the ability to turn an actual sporting event, an actual real-life sporting event, into a video game. He had the ability to do that. And uh, that in and of itself, in that sport, is enough. When we have more time on a future episode, we should also consider athletes in all sports who make games like a video game. Yes. And the last thing I'll say about McGrady is he played in the same era as Kobe where analytics quite hadn't quite gotten there yet. And, of course, his uh, career was cut short. I mean, he's only 37. Yeah. And he's already in the Hall of Fame. Um, so he went down before 
that analytic wave really came crashing down on the NBA, and I think that helps him in the in the long run because on those Rockets teams back in the day with uh, Jeff Van Gundy coaching, they weren't putting up 110 points like they are now. They were getting stops on defense, and McGrady would carry the offense in a Kobe-esque manner, not quite as efficiently. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was still good enough for him to be top 10 player in the game while he was there shout out to mcgrady uh shout out to kansas coach bill self bill self uh former uh chicago bulls general manager jerry kraus and former yukon star rebecca lobo those are the other names joining mcgrady in the basketball hall of fame guys there's also one other thing we didn't mention that happened this past weekend and uh, we're actually going to go into a bit more in depth about it's opening day baseball baseball is back uh i don't have a team anymore so I'm sad. But you do. And you do. I do. Uh, do you think we should jump into our MLB talk now, or do you want to do a take a quick break and go into the segment a little after that break? Can we talk about the MVP vote real quick? What do you want to talk about from the MVP vote? Just say that they took away and that uh, that's a good thing. Oh my goodness, yes. We can do that as well. Definitely we can bring that up very quickly and uh, we can go into break with that. But yes, they are taking the votes for this year's MVP race in the NBA out of the hands of broadcasters. And an MVP race that was already compelling enough with Russell, James, Kawhi, and LeBron, they had that extra element of taking out team broadcasters. Are you cool with this or are you not cool with this? I think... 10 years from now, people will be saying, wow, they used to have a vote? Are you serious? <laughs> I mean, it's about time. Look, Bill Worrell, longtime Rockets broadcaster, love him, synonymous with my childhood, but he does not deserve to vote for the MVP. I mean, first of all, he's a homer his whole life, and now like, he's lost his marbles. He's just getting up there. The Kings were in town, and he called malachi richardson malachi i think people around here would would appreciate that as losing credibility yes so he i I think it's about time and they're also awarding it to plenty of other writers who do deserve it so this is a good move thumbs up to adam silver this should have been done a long time ago adam silver proving time and time again why he is the best commissioner in professional sports i have no problem with it especially as we're seeing a bit more uh bit more as i'll call it homerism from some of these broadcasters in the NBA today. And uh, it seems as if they want to get this MVP vote right. Especially this year where I think no matter what happens, people are going to be really upset. So this is just the NBA saying, hey, you know what? We made sure the parameters are as good as possible so you can't dump on us for when either Russell Westbrook or James Harden wins MVP. And we're not going to get an answer until after the finals, after the draft, late June. They're going to have an awards show for it. Yes. What do you think about that? I think it's cool to have an award show. TNT is going to be involved with it, right? It's going to be really entertaining. It's like kind of like the NBA's version of the Oscars. I think think it could be really cool. I mean, the NBA, of all the professional leagues, is the one league that really encourages individuality and personality. So it's a really good opportunity for – Maybe not less the maybe less the players, maybe the, more the broadcasters they have in place. But I, I feel as if they could do a really good job with it. I would love to see what would happen for an NBA award show. You this could be really fun. Well, like we'll never get that moment again of a player holding up the trophy in front of the home crowd and the 
second round of the playoffs like it's always been done. You know what I mean? I, I get that, but then he has that opportunity to do it on a national television scale. And, hey, maybe if Kevin Durant wins it, he delivers another, you're the real MVP. You have more people clapping for him. It'll be a much bigger meme. I don't know. I, li- I like that. Stick- I don't think it'll be Durant this year, but point No, take. not yet. Fine. Maybe maybe James Harden will cry in his beard. Mike, any thoughts on this before we head to break? Russell Westbrook wouldn't cry if he won MVP. He would not cry. We're not going to have to worry about that, don't worry. For the sake of time, how about I just say this? I wholeheartedly agree. Carry on. Okay. Stick Mike. Brief. Very brief. Precise. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be talking to ESPN's Carrie Chow uh, later on on the show. You're listening to the Face Off Podcast. Welcome back to the Face Off Podcast. Julian McKenzie, Jake Laban here with you. Thanks so much for everyone who is watching on Facebook Live right now, watching on YouTube. Uh, If you're listening to us on iTunes, we just set that up. And if you're one of the regulars on Mixcloud.com, you know, thanks for sticking around with us. Our next guest on the show is an anchor at ESPN and also the host of the Fresh Off the Bench podcast, which you can find through the True Hoop Network. Uh, Subscribe to that if you can. Kerry Chow, uh, this is your first time on the show, and you are already a friend of the podcast. Welcome to the Face Off. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, and I love the name Face Off because it reminds me of the Nicolas Cage, John Travolta, John Woo classic. Who doesn't love the movie Face Off? Am I right? We, we've gotten that a couple times. We that was not that. our intention, but I guess we'll take it. I've had to pick the, the John Travolta side. Of that, I think I look more like him, and I think Jake is more of a Nicolas Cage kind of guy. You're what the the winner in this category, according to the movie Face Off, is Nicolas Cage because Nick Cage was way better in that film than John Travolta. So right now, just so you guys know, I'm pro Cage. That's good for you, Jake. That is good for me. It's good for you. So Carrie, <laughs> <laughs> so Carrie, uh, you visited. We got the opportunity to meet you at Newhouse uh, a few weeks back. Uh, unfortunately, you are not an alum of the school. Where did you end up going to? And if you can, for the listeners at home, just kind of talk about how you came into your broadcasting career. I went to UC Santa Barbara. I actually applied for Syracuse Newhouse when I was in high school and did not get accepted. So props to everybody at Newhouse. You have already accomplished something that I could never I've accomplished back in the day. Um, I went to UC Santa Barbara. They didn't actually have journalism there, so I studied communication. My whole tenure there didn't do broadcast at all, and I actually kind of fell into broadcast because after I graduated, I had been writing for a local newspaper out there. It wasn't the student paper, but it was called the Santa Barbara Independent, and I used to write movie reviews for them. And then I got a lot of compliments. They liked my writing style, but after I graduated, they're like, well, we can't afford to bring you on full-time. We can keep freelancing, and I'm making, like, 50 bucks on these movie reviews. I'm like, man, I don't know if I can sustain my life off these $50. I mean, Taco Tuesdays are great. I'm going to run into some trouble. So I ended up having to move back home to Southern California. I lived in – my parents live in Orange County. And I ended up moving back home after graduating, which 
is for all those students out there. It, it's a tough thing to do. It's kind of like wrestling with your ego. And when I moved back home, I picked up a couple internships randomly. And those internships, even though I had graduated college, the only way I could qualify was by going to a junior college and pretending to be a student. So I actually got a fake college ID so that I could qualify for internships. And I got an internship with the Best Damn Sports Show, period. I don't know if you guys remember that. I remember that show, Tom yes. Arnold. Yeah. Yeah. So I got one internship with them, and I got another internship with KABC TV, the ABC affiliate in Los Angeles. And I would split time between those two. Both of them were unpaid. And then I would work at Costco to make ends meet financially. And I would just be, oh, it was a miserable time. I was a cart wrangler. For anybody out there who has, goes to the shop at Costco, when you're dropping off your cart, do those guys a favor and put them in the designated cart area. <laughs> it is a lifesaver. Those damn Costco carts are so heavy. <laughs> Have you guys noticed, like, the comparatively, like, the the weight of the Costco shopping cart versus the, the generic Target shopping cart? You know what's funny? Like, for, for being being from Montreal, we had, like, Target for, like, a year, and I never really went into it. So I can't make that comparison between a Costco cart and a Target. So, for, I mean, Jake, you might have an answer to that you question. being I from do. Canada prevents us from, like, getting along with our guests and the references, <laughs> like, way more often than it should. Oh, man. Last week, he didn't know what Chick-fil-A was. Now, you know, Oh, know I know what it is. I know what it is. I've just never had Chick-fil-A. Uh, it just in reference, uh, last week, uh, Carrie, we had uh, Shea Serrano from uh, The Ringer on our show. And before we went on air, uh, Shea, we just ended up on the subject of Chick-fil-A. And I just asked Shea Serrano, like, hey, I'm Canadian. I've never had Chick-fil-A. And he was stupefied. I don't know if you have any good things to say about Chick-fil-A. So, this is a hot take for y'all. Oh, God. I oh, think man. Chick-fil-A is overrated. <laughs> you heard it here first. Oh, Chick-fil-A God. is good. I think it's, it's a tasty sandwich. There's too much hype now. Like, if I'm, there's a gigantic line for a Chick-fil-A, I will never wait in line for Chick-fil-A. If somebody brings Chick-fil-A to work... Oh, I'm 100% all about it. It's a good sandwich. I'm just saying there's so much hype and buildup around it now that I can't get on board. Unlike Southern California's delicious burgers, the In-N-Out burgers. I was going to ask you, know, you that. That lives up to that. I was going to ask you about that. I know we're, 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 we're trying to be all serious and ask you, you know, about questions about your career, but I wanted to ask you about the hype around In-N-Out burgers. Is that, do, should I believe the hype? Should you ignore the hype? Go in a little more on In-N-Out, and then we'll, we'll, we promise we'll be serious for the rest of the show. Okay, so you do have, here's the thing, you have to respect what it is. So if you're comparing In-N-Out, a lot of people will compare it to Shake Shack, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you guys have had Shake Shack, I've it's like it. a higher-end burger spot, right? You go to Shake Shack, you're spending 10 bucks. You go to In-N-Out, you're spending $5, and it's fresh ingredients, Fresh vegetables, nice burger, juicy, the double-double, grilled onions. you got to get it animal style, of course, which means grilled onions. I, I'm just saying, I, of course, am biased. I'm from Southern California, but I practically grew up on these burgers. They're delicious. They're fries, not so much. And now fries are kind of weak. But I do believe in the hype, but I am, again, completely biased in this regard. But you're, you, it's what you're paying for, right? You're not getting this ridiculously gourmet burger. You just have to factor it. You're spending five bucks. And you're getting a really good meal. Carrie, what? 
<laughs> I'll definitely take that into consideration we all do on if, I, if I ever get to go to uh, Southern California. Carrie, what does the uh, the town of Casper, Wyoming mean to you? <laughs> so the, the reason for this question is I still have my, my cell phone has a 307 area code. And the reason why I still have that phone number, when I moved to Casper, Wyoming, which was my first on-air TV job, paid on-air TV job, I used to actually work in a local cable station with my friend. We created a TV show called Fresh TV. I digress once more. I frequently digress, just so you know, when I'm driving on a, fr- on a freeway, if we're like a conversational freeway, I would be taking all sorts of exits. So you guys have to sometimes reel me in. My first on-air gig was with the NBC affiliate KCWY-TV in Casper, Wyoming. There's 210 total television markets, for those who don't know. Casper, Mm -hmm. Wyoming was 197. You don't get much smaller than Casper, Wyoming. But that said, I love everything about Casper, Wyoming. The, um, what was it called? The Oil City, I believe was the nickname. The reason why I have such fond memories of Casper, Wyoming, and for those who are trying to get into the business and getting into those first local markets, I could not recommend highly enough just accept the job if you can get your foot in the door because you'll get all your mistakes out of the way early. People aren't going to bludgeon you. Now, social media is different, granted. I was There was no Twitter when I was in Casper, Wyoming. This was about 2005. But I was the weekend sports anchor. I was the weekday news anchor. I was also producing, reporting, shooting, editing. I was doing everything that you possibly can do at these local markets. And because of that, you become a more well-rounded journalist. Your skill set is more valuable as you move on and progress in your career. And you get to do cool things because everybody's in the same boat. They're all young. You guys are all trying to climb up. And if you're looking to just stay in a market like that size, do hey, to each their own. I'm not going to criticize. But for, for my recommendation, I would say, because I went to Casper, Wyoming, and it was such a small place, I knew I wasn't going to be there the rest of my life. And because of that, I was, as cheesy as it sounds, I made the best out of each day. Like, for instance, if it was April 3rd, 2006, I thought, you know what, this might be the only April 3rd I ever spend in Wyoming, might as well enjoy it. And if you keep that silly mentality in a market in which you're not happy or in a beginner's market, that will that will help you tremendously. You brought up an earlier point in uh, one of your previous answers about getting out of school and, and looking for all these internships and the, the hit it takes to your ego. And, I mean, I can speak from personal experience. Uh, you know, you, you do – doing all the internships you do and, and going to school and thinking, you know what, hey, I'm good enough to, to go out and get myself a pretty decent job off the bat. And when it doesn't happen right away, you're kind of floundering around. You take a big hit. Can you go in a bit more on the feelings you feel uh, in that moment? Because I feel as if, especially for a lot of people who listen to this podcast, they might either be going through that situation right now or they might be on the verge of doing it. I, I certainly have uh, gone through that. And, I mean, you, mean you, you end up working at Costco you know, that's, you know, I'd like for you to go in a bit more on that, if you'd like. Yeah, I think that's a great question for all of us who had to, you know, whenever you start your career and when you begin, it is, you have to remember to stay humble. And it is a humbling process. It is such a humbling process to get that first job. Because you do feel this sense of entitlement. You guys are at one of the, at those in Newhouse who are listening, 
one of the best broadcast journalism, best sports journalism programs in the entire country. Like, it took a lot to get there. And then if you can't get a job immediately after, you're kind of looking at yourself to reflect and you're wondering, well, what, what's the deal? Like, I'm better than this. Well, how come I can't get a job? And you just have to remember to have that inner confidence of your work. And sometimes, where does that inner confidence come from? Sometimes you have to show your work to others and find out, hey, what do you what do you make of this piece I wrote? What do you make of this video that I put together? And if they say, hey, it's good, and you hopefully you want honest feedback. Because sometimes, and this is cutthroat, but sometimes you'll get feedback and they're like, oh, it's great, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Sometimes not everyone's cut out for this business, and you also have to recognize that too. And that's a, it's a hard thing to face, but what I would also say is don't give up on anything until you know you tried and give it a all. So it, it, for me, when I was, I didn't know I wanted to do broadcast. I just knew I needed a job, and I wanted to. I needed to get some sort of. Um, I needed to get some sort of money, and then for me moving back home, because here's here's a mindset that. I think maybe a lot of people can relate to. You go to college, you spend those four years. When you left high school, when you left home, you're like, I'm about to go on to this huge, bigger, and better thing. And then after four years, you spend all this money on your education, and you are a smarter person. You're a more well-rounded individual because it's not all about schooling and, and so forth. But then you move back home, at least in my case. And moving back home to my mom's house, and I would see some of my old friends and does respect to some of them who didn't go to college or who went strictly into the workforce or went to a community college, you know, again, to each their own. But I personally felt like now here I am four years later, they're making more money than me, and I'm back where I started. And it just kind of like, dang it, like, what happened? Where did I go wrong? What, what could I have done? What could I have done better? And the only answer is to just, you got to keep working hard and pounding that pavement and it's so cliche and all the guests I'm sure that you've had on this show will say the same thing but it's power in numbers you've got to send out so many resumes so many tapes for me at that time I sent out I don't know over 50 or so writing pieces which uh, writing samples mm-hmm. at the time and really that, that wasn't even that much because compared to my television search when I actually did get those internships and I started working I sent out to over 120 television stations. And this was old VHS tape. And you get a lot of rejections. But here's the thing. I was was getting honest feedback from my production assistant work at this time at at KHC. And they're like, you know what? You do have the job. We're not going to sit around and BS you if you don't because that's wasting our time, too. We're not going to waste our time trying to help you if we know your future is so limited. You know? So... And that helped me have this inner confidence knowing that, you know what, I can do it. And then everybody, if all of a sudden everybody watches your stuff says, and tells you similar things, then it's probably pretty accurate. But if you're starting to get feedback from all different directions, you have to weigh that too. And it's, you just have to be steadfast. And sometimes even if the business doesn't want you, but you want the business, they keep fighting for it. And then you go work that first job, maybe even a second job, and it's at that point, you realize, do I like this or do I not? Is this going to be my career? And, and those are other questions you have to face down the line. But in terms of staying confident and staying like upbeat, I'll just say it is a, it's a very difficult process, and sometimes you need to have an outlet because we all know. I think, and Julian, we talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Finding a job is a full-time job. When you're looking for a job, it's 
eight to five, you are checking every, you're Googling every different avenue you could possibly search mm -hmm. for. One helpful hit for the kids out there, go to newsblues.com, newsblues.com. If I recall correctly, it's a free website that you can access every single local television market and their co the contact information for news directors and reporters and so forth on that site. You just have to dig around a little bit. So if you guys are looking into getting into TV news, newsblues.com. Definitely going to write down that website. Um, Carrie, from humble beginnings in Wyoming, working your way all the way up to ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports. What? What was that first day like at ESPN? It was surreal, man. So one of the things at ESPN, you'll see in the carpet, the carpet says ESPN, and it's this weird design. It's not like the ESPN logo. It's like this weird ESPN, I don't know, it's like formed into a, into a square. But you get there on campus, and we all call it the campus, mm -hmm. and you're just like, wow, I did it. I made it to ESPN. This is what I've been hoping to do my whole career, and as you walk around it, it really is like a sports center commercial because these celebrities will walk by you and forget about the athletes, but for us in the business, right? It's the anchors and the reporters. When Scott Van Pelt and Chris Berman come walking through and they're saying hello, and also Stuart Scott, um, you know, God, God rest his soul, it was just incredible to be considered a peer of these individuals. And peer is simply by title, not in actuality. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I have no Chris Berman here, but just to, to see that, oh, hey, he's a commentator, I'm a commentator, we're at ESPN, this is, this is just, a, it was a total dream come true. And um, the campus is everything you can imagine. It is Disneyland for the sports fan. You said it was a dream come true, but I'm wondering, you're at ESPN, but of course there's still room for growth. What else is Carrie Chow aspiring to do? Uh, yeah, it's the old battle between being content versus being satisfied. Mm. That is um, a concept I've been talking about a lot because I'm so content that I'm here at ESPN. But you're right, I'm not satisfied with, with where I am. My true dream is this podcast that we started, Fresh Off the Bench. Again, it's under the true hoop. If you search on iTunes or ESPN.com, podcast, listen, it'll be under True Hoop, so you have to click True Hoop, and then under True Hoop, you'll see a bunch of old podcasts, and Fresh Off the Bench will be listed there. We do one every week, and it is, as mentioned before, it is the first all-Asian-hosted national network podcast. I mean, it's 2017, or when we started, 2016. That had never been done before, and we've been given this outlet. It's myself, Prim Surikapat, another ESPN anchor, former Duke tennis star, and then Om Young Masuk, who's a longtime journalist in the field, uh, and he writes for ESPN New York. He covers the NBA. He covers everything. And the three of us, along with our producer, Jade Hoy, we talk about the most random conversations, um, including top five Tom Cruise films. That was our first introduction to the true atmosphere. We debated... You know, uh, whether or not Top Gun was really one of his best movies, that's another hot take of mine. I quickly digress. It's not. To <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, watch True Hoop and Fresh Off the Bench kind of blossom, that, that's one of my, that's my true dream. I want to see it continue, to continue to have success because I think it provides a voice that a lot of people just don't realize. And it's not that 
I'm trying to, or many of us are trying to advocate these huge Asian agendas, like, oh man, you've got to fight for, for this. No, it's what it's about is um, presenting a viewpoint that people may have not seen. Like, for instance, um, what was the movie that just came out? Ghost in the Shell. Yes. Scarlet, starring Scarlett Johansson. Yes. There's some controversy, there's a lot of controversy around that movie because the character that Scarlett Johansson plays was supposed to be an Asian character and then they eliminated that to make her white. Mm-hmm. Now there's a lot of factors, of course, to sell movie tickets and so forth, but it's, a, it's, it's difficult for the Asian American community to see their faces eliminated on pop culture. And so that's what we try to do. We just try to uh, provide these. Yes, of course. Uh, Ghost in the Shell, I haven't seen that yet. I know, thinking of other movies along that line, um, there was like a like a, a Matt Damon movie, like The Wall, which also kind of played off that as well. Yeah, like The Great Wall. I just also think that the title of it is very curious, considering the times that we are in now. Uh, but just seeing, uh, I mean, what else do you do, aside from the podcast, what else can you do to help bring in... Uh, more diversity from the Asian side on screen. I mean, obviously, you know, me being a, an African Canadian, me being black, you know, obviously there's, obviously we're we're calling for more of more of us to be on screen. But what else can you do uh, to bring more Asians onto the screen for for broadcasting? Yeah, that's a great question. And in fact, we're actually have a lot of time with you uh but we've done this with pretty much every guest we've had on our show so far uh doris burke uh shay serrano uh we need a pick for this year's nba mvp from you we need a pick we are we obviously know the big names that are involved 
you know, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, and the big two of James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Right now, your pick for NBA MVP is... Uh, is... I can't cop out here. You can't cop out. You can't do it. No. I, and, I, and I won't do it. There's so much of me... Let me... Okay. I am going to give you a little bit of a cop out. I, I will <laughs> say I think Russell Westbrook will win. I'm going to say that. I don't think he should. Russell Westbrook is on pace for this incredible season, right? The amount of double-doubles, he's one away from tying Oscar Robertson for most all-time in a single season, averaging a triple-double. That's absurd. It's ridiculous. so good. His offensive efficiency is ranked 116th in the NBA. He's getting those stats, but at what cost? Now, they're still winning, granted, but some of these blowouts, he's compiling stats. He's a numbers guy. You know what I think of, guys? Do you remember when Mike when Miguel Cabrera won the triple brown a few years ago? Yes. Yep. When was the last time somebody won the triple brown? Was it, it was Ted Williams, right? I, I'm gonna have to. I think it was that far back. Yeah. It, that. It's been a long time. <laughs> it was a long time, and then Cabrera, Miggy gets it. But who had the best? And I'm not a big fan of wins and pub replacement, but Mike Trout. And this again comes from bias here, but Mike Trout had one incredible season, and he meant more to the team than Miguel Cabrera. He meant more for wins, so forth. And all the traditionalists went with Miggy, which is fire. He had an amazing season. He got the triple crown. Well-deserved. I feel like it's the same situation here. James Harden is who I would technically vote for. James Harden, his statistics are also historic this season. Like He's, he's doing things that no one has ever done. His offensive efficiency is ranked 24th the last time I checked. ballot you don't write your ballot up saying oh no these players aren't having fun with russell westbrook i wouldn't want to be the guy to grab that 10th rebound away from him in the (laughs) final minute i wouldn't want to be that guy fair that is fair hell no (laughs) you know the stare that russ is gonna give you you get that stare he's he's, how many times has he given that 10th stare if you grab that 10th rebound and he pushes out on a couple on averaging a triple double for the season Yo, you're not gonna be playing in OKC next season. Well, consider. Well, also considering the the history with with what's going on, the historic pace that he's on right now. Hell yeah, I'd be upset. By the way, we were wondering who that last Triple Crown winner was uh, before Miguel Cabrera. Carl y- Carl Yastrzemski uh, for the Boston Red Sox in 1967, yeah. and then Frank Robinson a year earlier uh, with Baltimore, then Mickey Mantle, and then it was Ted Williams. I just had to put that out there. That's <laughs> fine. That. that- pointing that out to you guys. I appreciate that. It's fine. It's fine. Hey, we can't get everything right on the Face Off podcast. Uh, Carrie Chow, thank you so much for taking the time uh, for calling into our show, uh, providing advice, and your pick for the NBA MVP. While I might disagree, uh, Jake Lapin had a really wide grin on his face as yes. you said James Harden. I did. So, you know, as you can tell, we've been, that's pretty much been the biggest debating point between us two this entire Face Off and podcast. It's not just uh, us two, it's any NBA fans everywhere. It's just an insane year. Pretty much.
But can't, totally yes. Where did Kawhi fit in there? Because I also feel like, you know, the Kawhi and LeBron you guys brought up. Kawhi, the thing is, he's also doing it on the defensive end, which yes. both those guys have talked about. Is he, though? Is he though? He's, he's like this. He's like a top three overall player in the league. His defensive efficiency is like 18th among small forwards. So like, I mean, as long as we're throwing around numbers, Kerry, if you stick around long enough, uh, we might. I might end up killing Jake Lapin. <laughs> uh, Kerry, thank you so thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, this won't be the last time you'll be on the fi- on the Face Off podcast. Uh, you can also check out uh, Carrie Chow on the podcast Fresh Off the uh, Fresh Off the Bench uh, on the True Hoop Network. Their latest episode came out a few days ago. Uh, Ken Jong's on his latest episode. Please go check that out. Carrie, thank you so much. Hey, pleasure, guys. Appreciate you guys having me.